Coming up, a message from the pulpit of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina, by Elder Michael Goins. For information about Bethel Church, please visit our website at BethelPBC.us. I invite you to join me this morning in the Holy Scriptures in the 37th Psalm, Psalm 37. This morning we'll read the first 11 verses as we speak on the importance of unburdening our hearts from anxiety. Psalm 37, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. I want to continue this morning our survey of the topic of traveling through this world unburdened in light. We've been talking and thinking together about the importance of unloading our burdens on Jesus Christ and instead taking his easy yoke, his light burden upon ourselves. In other words, contenting ourselves with following him, doing what he said, and leaving the rest in his hands. It's so important. Most of us have quite a collection of suitcases, psychologically, spiritually, don't we? We have our fears, we have our guilt, and we have our anxieties, our worries. And you see that thought that we're to unload our worries and anxieties on Jesus Christ in this expression that is repeated three times in our reading, fret not. Now, sometimes people say the Bible is just too hard to understand. But I would imagine many of you had grandmothers who used to use language like this, don't fret, fret not. And we understand what it means when he says fret not. You see that imperative in verse 1, fret not thyself because of evildoers. Again in verse 7, fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. And again in verse 8, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Fret not. Interestingly, the Hebrew word means to burn. It speaks of someone who has become overheated. Don't fret. Don't get worked up. The word means to chafe like inflammation in the skin. In fact, the first occurrence of this word fret in the Bible is in Leviticus 13 when he's describing how to diagnose leprosy. 
and he calls it a fretting leprosy. Leprosy that inflames the skin and spreads like some kind of dermatological abnormality. He says it's a fretting leprosy. It burns and it chaps or chafes the skin. This word fret is a very descriptive word to describe the familiar emotion in our hearts that we know is anxiety or worry. Now, the New Testament refers to the problem of worry as anxious care. In fact, the word fret only appears in the Old Testament 12 times, but never in the New. But the New Testament says, don't be careful. Be not careful. The word careful means don't be filled with anxious care. For instance, remember Luke 10, 41, the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus visited their home. Jesus said to Martha, 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 thou art careful and troubled about many things. Martha, you're full of care. And the word literally means that you are overburdened, overtaxed. You're just out of your mind with anxiety and worry. You're coming apart at the seams. You see the same term in Philippians 4, 6, when he says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That verse means don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. You know, when you worry, you're riding a stationary bicycle. You're expending energy, but you're not making any progress. Instead of just rolling our problems over and over in our minds, we're to take them to the Lord in prayer, cast them upon the Lord. We're not to fret and worry about that which is out of our control, but we're to turn it over to one whose shoulders are indeed broad enough to bear our burdens and to handle our problems. That's the idea. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, Our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but it does empty today of its strength. And that's certainly true. That's why we need to cast our anxiety, our care, on the Lord. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Now, while you're Taking your problems to the Lord, don't forget to say thank you for how he's already blessed you and delivered you many times in the past. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It's not wrong to take the smallest little worrisome problem to the Lord in prayer. In fact, we need to learn to do that. In all of our ways, we're to acknowledge him, says Proverbs 3, 5. And he shall direct our paths. Someone said that anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind, and if it's encouraged, it will cast a channel into which all the other thoughts are drained. It's a little rivulet of fear, but if you allow it to continue, it will carve a chasm that every other part of your life, worry can take over, in other words. Someone else has said anxiety is like a toddler. It never stops talking. It tells you you're wrong about everything, and it wakes you up at 3 a.m. in the morning. Indeed, my friends, fretting is something with which each of us, I'm confident, can identify. And it's a heavy burden to go through our lives worrying about everything. And you say, Brother Micah, that's my problem. I'm a worry wart. In fact, any time I've preached in the Bible about the importance of 
casting our cares on the Lord and not worrying, inevitably somebody comes up to me and says, will you tell me how to stop it? And that's what I plan to do, the Lord willing, this morning. And the question is, are we going to believe what God's word says? But anyway, worry is universal. Now, what sort of things do people tend to worry about? Well, I think there are several categories that are common to each of us. Relationships. We worry about our relationships. Single people worry about whether there's anyone out there that they will ever marry. Will anyone want me? And will I ever find my life mate? Single people worry, will they ever have a marriage relationship? Married people worry whether their marriage will survive the challenges of two sinners living together under the same roof. You know, marriage is not easy. And you say, I'm just worried about how we're getting along. I'm worried about whether we're going to make it. Single people worry about whether they will be married. Married people worry about whether they're going to be able to stay married. Parents worry about their children. In fact, that doesn't stop when they leave the house, does it? Parents worry about their children. Every day I go through the list of my seven children and my 11 grandchildren, and I call each of their names and take them to the Lord in prayer. Say, Lord, I don't know where they are right now, what they're doing, but you do. And would you take care of them? Would you watch over them? You know, worry is something that can consume you if you don't pray. It's not wrong to be concerned. It is wrong to just be concerned and internalize it all. There's an outlet. There's a solution. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And I try to do that every day. And children worry about their parents, especially their aging parents. We worry about relationships. What about money? There's another area. Anybody here ever worried about money? I think each of us can identify with what it means to be anxious about our financial condition. Everything's so expensive. Inflation's through the roof. And you say the, it doesn't seem like the income is meeting the outgo. And I just worry about my financial status. Jesus is concerned about this very topic in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount when he says several times in this passage, take no thought. Now that little expression means do not be filled with anxiety. Take no thought. He doesn't mean don't plan for the future, but he just means don't be consumed with it. Don't allow it to occupy your thoughts, your thinking, your lives, so that it is all-consuming. Take no thought for your lives what you shall eat or what you shall drink, he says in verse 25. Nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? I mean, God knows that your life is more important than what you eat. Your body's more important than the clothes you wear. He's going to take care of you. And then he gives us two natural examples. He tells us to go out and watch the birds. Behold the fowl of the air, Jesus says. Now, you know, birds are out there every day, and it's easy to take them for granted. But he says, go out and study them. Behold, consider them. They sow not, neither do they reap. Now, when is the last time you heard about a group of birds who had gotten together, pooled their resources, and purchased a field, and planted it with grain, and then harvested the... They just don't do that, do they? They, they sow not, neither do they reap. Neither do they gather into barns. That is, they don't develop housing projects. 
Birds do not build their own apartment complexes. They don't gather in the barn. They don't collectively plant a crop and farm a piece of ground. You say, well, then what are they going to eat? Where are they going to live? He says, your heavenly father feedeth them. Your heavenly father. Now, he's their creator, but he's your heavenly father. It's wonderful to think about God in terms of our creator, but I'm telling you it's even more intimate and personal to remember that he's our heavenly father. Your heavenly father feeds them. And then he says, consider the lilies of the field. Instead of the birds, now go look at the flowers, the wildflowers, how they grow. He says they toil not. They don't get involved in tremendous exertions of energy and effort. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Have you ever really studied the precision in a rose petal or a flower my friends, it is a remarkable feat of engineering, divine engineering. I mean, flowers are exquisite. They're so fragile and tender, yet they're so intricately and wonderfully made. Yes, indeed, he says, look at that. Look at that little flower, and it's not here for long. In fact, it today is, and then tomorrow, he says, it's wilted, it's faded away, it's used to start or to kindle a fire, it's cast into the oven. He says, and if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought. Don't worry. Jesus is telling us not to worry about money. What about fulfilling your responsibilities? You know, that was Martha's problem. I mentioned Mary and Martha. Martha was frazzled. She was pulling her hair out by the roots. You know, that she was burning the biscuits and she had uh, burned her hand when she tried to get them out of the oven and everything was going wrong and she comes bursting into the scene and scolds Mary in the presence of Jesus and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Martha is worried. She's anxious about all of her responsibilities that she has to keep. Maybe you have a very demanding job that requires you to focus very intensely. And you say, Brother Mike, I just have so much on my plate. I remember every year during tax season, my dad was a CPA as well as a primitive Baptist pastor. And I remember every year during tax season, he would work over 100 hours per week, 105, 110 hours. And that means he burned the midnight oil an awful lot. He had a lot of responsibility and it was stressful. And I remember that Anytime we did get to see him, he was laid out in his recliner with a toothpick in his mouth and his glasses still on, sound asleep. You know, but I mean, he would stay up till three, four in the morning just trying to meet his deadlines. And you say, Brother Mike, I just worry, worry, worry about all of my responsibilities at work or at home. What about your health? Many people worry, they're anxious about their health. You know, as I get older and I notice that things don't work like they once did, <laughs> I'm not quite as nimble, not quite as agile. I'll bend over to pick something up and get dizzy. Say, what's happened to my head? That never used to happen. Like the fellow that was plowing his old mule one day and the mule just fell over dead. And he said, well, he's never done that before. You know, some things just start happening. You say, that never has happened before. But my mind is not as sharp. My voice is not as resonant. My grip's not as strong. I don't have the energy and endurance I once had. It happens, doesn't it? And you say, I'm so worried about my health. 
Well, it's right to take precautions. It's right to exercise properly, eat properly, because there are people around us that love us and depend on us. But my friends, in the final analysis, even the most athletic and healthy person that you know, if the Lord Jesus tarries, will eventually go the way of all the earth. Even Jack LaLanne has faded away, and we all will get sick, right? Every one of us, my friends. Now, we don't want to, as the Bible says, die before the time. You know, we, we want to try to be smart about it, wise about it, and useful to serve our Lord as long as he's pleased for us to be here. But at the same time, we worry about our health. So many people in our modern world are fixated on physical health. They're so afraid that they miss the opportunities to love the Lord's people. Somebody says, oh, I can't believe that you came in here to see me, Pastor. I, don't you know I'm contagious? I say, well, they make medicines. I'm so thankful for that. I'll take precaution. I'll use hand sanitizer. I'll try to be wise about it. But my friends, in the final analysis, people are more important than ourselves. That's the Christian way to think about it. What about the future? Somebody says, I'm worried about the future. Look at what's happening in our world, Brother Mike. The world is just falling apart at the seams internationally here in America. I mean, there's just great chaos and confusion, and it just looks like it's hopeless. I'm so anxious about what's happening politically, what's happening internationally. That's really the focus of our text in Psalm 37 this morning. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Somebody doing something wrong, somebody doing something that is displeasing to God, and you say, it's just eating my lunch. He says, don't let it chafe you. Don't let it inflame you. Don't overreact. Don't lose your focus. Fret not. The psalmist himself gives us this advice, and he himself models his own advice, his own counsel, in a calm and quiet spirit in this psalm. In fact, listen to what he says, David. Psalm 37 is our text. Listen to what he says in verse 25. I have been young and now I'm old. Now, what was his status in life, his condition in life when he wrote Psalm 37? He was an old man. He said, I have been young and now I'm old. And yet, I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor seed begging bread. Now, that's a rule. There are exceptions to the rule of course, but it, this is proverbial. It's like Proverbs. It's like train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's not a promise. That's a principle. It's a rule. It's a general rule. There may be exceptions to it, but as a rule, if you invest in that child early on, they will grow up to repeat their parents' worldview and perspective and focus in life. He says, same here. I've been young, now I'm old, but I've not seen David says, I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. You say, Brother Mike, does that mean God's children will never beg for something to eat? Well, we know there have been God's children in the past who faced poverty and extremity and hunger. And, you know, don't you think God has children in India? And many of them have struggled for bread, something to eat. But as a rule, God takes care of his children. David says, depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. What you have in Psalm 37 is the counsel of a mature man. These are words of calm wisdom that have been ripened by long experience. And he himself models this calm and quiet spirit 
He's not panicked. He's not frazzled. He's not overheated. He's not fretful. And he's communicating to us from his long experience. He says, fret not because of evildoers, for their days are numbered. Now, do you know that today? Do you know that all wrongs will ultimately be made right? God will settle the score. He will balance the scales of justice. Yes, indeed, my friends, there's no reason to get all worked up when the world is on a collision course with divine judgment. He says, fret not because of evildoers. Don't allow anxiety to take over your heart. It's evident that all of the changes in his life have not soured the psalmist. And in this chapter, he gives us the benefit of his experiences in life so that we may learn to live as much as is possible a carefree life. This is the Old Testament version, Psalm 37, of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, you may notice verse 11, Jesus actually quotes this verse in the Beatitudes, the third Beatitude. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Jesus quotes Psalm 37, 11 as the third beatitude. And what you have in this chapter is counsel regarding what to do and what not to do. When wrong appears to be winning, when injustice prevails, when sin and evil seem to be the rule and the glory of God, the exception to that rule in our lives. You have negatives and positives. Let's notice first three negatives. What not to do. When evil is on the throne and truth seems to be on the scaffold, three don'ts. Number one, he advises us in Psalm 37, don't get uptight. That's what he means by the word fret not thyself because of evildoer. Again, the word means don't get frustrated, agitated, irritable. Don't be vexed in your spirit. The word speaks of a gnawing or eating away. It means to chafe with inner turmoil. Don't allow yourself to get so worked up that you lose your focus. Proverbs 24 verse 19 describes the dynamic that we're talking about here when we speak of don't fret. Proverbs 24 verse 19, fret not thyself because of evil men, Neither be thou envious at the wicked, for there shall be no reward to the evil man. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. Indeed, we're not to get uptight. Number two, he says, so far as negative things to avoid, don't panic. You see that in verse 5b. He says, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Now there is something to be said for delayed gratification. I know that Gen Z, that the modern age does not look kindly on the idea of delayed gratification. You know, many people today want to start life where their parents worked 40 years to reach, right? They say, I want a house just like mom and dad have, and I want to start it like that. I want the best automobile When I first get my license, you know, the idea of driving an old jalopy for a while is just almost unheard of to a young person today. No offense to the young people here, but I'm just saying that there's a mindset that doesn't accept the idea of delayed gratification. The fact is, a farmer that doesn't understand he's not going to get the harvest the same day he plants the crop, it's going to take quite a while, months maybe, 
right? You sow the seed today, you're not going to gather the harvest for several months in the future. He's got to understand this principle of delayed gratification. And that's what verse 5 says. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You say, when? Well, probably not right now, not tomorrow. It may be days, weeks, months, or years down the road. Remember when God said to Abraham, you're going to have a child. How long did he wait before Isaac was born? 25 years. You say, well, I mean, if I had to wait that long, I can't even wait 25 minutes. You know, if the doctor's 25 minutes late from the appointment time, then I am just fit to be tied. I'm chafed. I'm burning. You know, I'm overheated. I'm upset. I'm irritable. I'm frustrated. He says it's going to take place in the future. I like the fellow that every time some car comes speeding up around him on the highway, he says, uh, I'll see you at the next light, buddy. And sure enough, you get to the next light, you've been going the speed limit, and they're going 80 miles an hour, you're going 55, get to the next light, and there they are, and you pull up right beside them, right? The fact is, God is not in as much of a hurry as we are, and his timing is always best. So don't panic. When problems are around you, you say, I'm just, I don't know what we're going to do. We're just, you know, it's easy to just lose your cool. He says, It's going to take place. He shall bring it to pass. Look at verse 7a. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't panic. Wait patiently for God. Wait patiently. Now you can wait without doing it patiently. You can wait in frustration. But he says you wait patiently on the Lord. How many times does the Bible tell us wait on the Lord? And he shall cause your strength to be renewed like the eagle's. You shall run and not be weary. You shall walk and not faint. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord. And again, I say, wait upon the Lord. He repeats it because we need to be reminded to wait. Don't run before him. Verse 34 of Psalm 37 says, wait on the Lord and keep his way. And he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. Do you want to be blessed by God, exalted by God, to inherit the land? Then wait for God's timing, and you keep doing what he said in the meantime. You keep his way, and wait on him, and the day will come when he will exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, then thou shalt see it. What good counsel this is. He's saying, don't lose your cool. Don't overreact. Don't get all worked up. So what are the negatives here? Don't get uptight, don't panic, and then third, don't lose your temper. Verse 8 of our text, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. In other words, somebody else is doing wrong. Don't let their wrong make you sin, cause you to get so worked up that you end up saying something or doing something that you shouldn't do. You say, Brother Mike, I've I've failed so many times in this. Yes, ditto. I understand. I have as well. But yet, how important it is to keep focus, to keep our cool. How important it is to remember who our God is. Take a deep breath. Just not get so uptight about things going wrong around us. Not to... borrow the burden of trying to feel like we've got to control everything when obviously 
Our arms are too short. Our mind is too dull. We can't control everything in life, can we? There's not a one of us here who can control everybody in every circumstance. And the best thing to do is leave what is out of your control to the Lord. Now look at the positives. We've seen three negatives. Don't panic. Don't get uptight. Don't fret. Don't lose your temper. Look at the positive things. He says in verse number three, instead trust in the Lord and do good. He's saying make up your mind to do the right thing and leave the rest, the consequences to the Lord. Trust in the Lord and then do good. You know, that's a good motto for life. I'm just going to do what God said to do, and I'm going to leave the rest in his hands. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. That's what Daniel and the three Hebrews did. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had this rule that they had to worship the image that had been set up to the emperor, but their conscience would not allow them to do that. So they did what was right, and they left the consequences to God. Did God take care of them? Absolutely. What about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, when the Apostle Paul writes to the young pastor Timothy, who was really struggling, really discouraged. The Apostle says, I want you to remember this, Timothy. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. In other words, Timothy, the world's going to get worse. The world's going to get more worldly. It's going to be more sinful, but continue thou in the things thou hast learned. While the world is on a collision course with divine judgment, Timothy, you keep doing what you know to do. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So make up your mind. Here's the first positive counsel in our text. Instead of fretting, commit yourself to doing what is right and trust God with the rest of it. Secondly, verse 4, delight thyself in the Lord. Delight thyself also. Notice here's another, the word also suggests this is another word of advice or counsel. Not only trust in the Lord and do good, but now delight yourself in the Lord. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You know what he's saying here? And this is a powerful verse. He's saying... Find your delight and happiness in the Lord, and your life will be filled with his blessings, with his delight, with joy and happiness. You see, God is not a harsh ogre, intent on making his people miserable, saying, I don't want anybody to ever have any fun. Instead, he's entirely delightful, and he's the source of endless joy and happiness to his children. The more you and I know him, the more we will inevitably delight in him. And the person who finds such delight in God and who longs for God's fellowship will discover that God will fill his life with infinite delightful things. He says, you delight yourself in the Lord and then he will give you the desires of your heart. That does not mean that if you delight yourself in the Lord, that he will help you to win the lottery or he will, you say, I, here's what I really want. No, if you really delight yourself in the Lord, he's what you really want, right? And your desires will be what he desires for you. And he will supply. What he's really saying in this verse is the same Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. You say, Brother Mike, I want food, raiment, 
the necessities of life to be supplied. He says, you put God first, you delight in him, and he will take care of the rest. I believe that promise. May I say this is the crucial first step in finding the will of God in your life. Maybe you're here this morning. You say, Brother Mike, I just want to know God's will for my life. Well, may I say God is not primarily concerned with who you marry or what career path you choose. That You say, that's what I'm concerned with. His first concern is, who do you worship? And if you worship him, first and foremost, if he is number one in your life, then he will take care of the rest. That's what verse 4 is talking about. And then, in terms of the positive counsel here that he wants us to implement, he's told us some things to avoid. Now he says, I want you to implement these positive words of advice. Number 3, he says in verse 5, entrust your future to God. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He's saying the same thing here that he says in 2 Timothy 1.12 when he says, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You say, I've, I've committed my life to the Lord. Lord, here I am. I'm yours. I give it all to you. God is able to keep it. He says, commit your way unto the Lord. The Hebrew word literally means to roll your load onto the Lord. He's saying first the same thing that Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Roll it all onto him. Commit your way, your future, unto the Lord. Have you done that? Have you said, Lord, here's my life. Here I am. All of me, everything I have, everything I can do, everything that's worthwhile, and then all of my burdens, Lord, I'm just going to roll it all over onto you. I commit my care and my future into your sovereign hands. He says, when you do that, he shall direct your paths. Cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. The word here, commit thy way unto the Lord, and he shall bring it to pass. The word literally means to dislodge the burden from your shoulders and lay it upon God. His heart of love for you is big enough. His shoulders, again, are broad enough to carry your heavy load and to manage the details of your life, he's able to do that, my friends. God will take care of you. I believe that. Then finally, in terms of the positive advice of this chapter, he not only says, fret not, that is, you do good. You trust in the Lord and do good. Not only does he say, delight yourself also in the Lord, and then he says, commit your way unto the Lord. But he says, in verse number 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And the word literally means to be still before God. Find your peace and tranquility in him. Now, do you need peace in your heart? Do you need calmness in your soul? <laughs> I do. You know, I get all tied in knots, all worried, all anxious, all wrapped up in, like Martha, you know, frazzled. Careful about many things, worried, worried, worried. And you say, Brother Mike, I, my mind is in a whirl and my life is coming apart at the seams. He says, just stop and be still before God and rest in him. Be calm in your soul. This is exactly the advice in Philippians 4, 6, where I was a moment ago when he says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer 
and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Here, notice the next verse. And the peace of God. The peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we were singing about just a few moments ago. There's a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. Do you see a difference between the person who's calm and poised and quiet in his spirit and the person who's tied in knots and anxious and all upset and fretting? Do you see a difference, my friends, between the Martha example and this idea? There's a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. It says when you cast your burdens on the Lord, the peace of God will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I need help in my thinking and I need help in my emotions. And the best way to find it, my friends, is to roll those burdens onto the Lord and to trust him to take care of them. Our problem is we say, Lord, I've got these problems, here's my problems, and then we get up from prayer and we carry them back home with us. We bring our luggage to him and say, Lord, here, look at all this, I can't carry it all. Would you help me? And then we say, well, okay, well, since I'm leaving and I've already paid for it, I think I'll carry this luggage back home with me. That's our problem. My beloved, unburden your heart by finding peace and tranquility in him. Now, there's a man who received some books from his friend when his friend was growing blind and he couldn't see to read anymore. And he gave him the majority of his library. And he said, as he looked through the pages, he noticed he had underlined salient points. But every once in a while, he would see written at the top of the page the letters YBH. And it puzzled him. Why BH? What in the world does that mean? And finally he asked his friend, he said, I, I have a question for you. What do the letters YBH mean? He said, oh, I wrote those letters because I basically agreed with what the author was saying. But I had a question in my mind. Yes, but how? Yes, but how? Okay, let's answer the yes, but how part of our sermon this morning. Don't fret. Be calm in your soul. Good advice. We all need it. But you might say this morning, yes, Brother Mike, but how? Tell me how. <laughs> well, this chapter gives us two words of counsel. Look up and look ahead. Look up and trust and delight in the Lord. That is, you stay focused not on your problems or on yourself or on other people, but trust in the Lord. And that's the secret to peace in our lives is keeping your eyes focused on God. You see, we're like Peter. We look at the troubles around us, the winds and the waves, and we sink. But when he looked at Jesus, he could walk on the water. And my beloved, you and I need to keep our focus on the Lord. That's really the great challenge that each of us faces in life is to keep focused on who our God is. You've got a God who loves you, a God who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. You have a God who cares for you. His heart of love, my friends, is touched with your situation. His mind of wisdom is able to figure out a solution to your problem. His hands are strong enough to solve your crises. My beloved God is your helper. He's my helper, and therefore, to just think about him. I need to keep my mind in a spiritual vein on a day-by-day -day basis. I need to hear preaching. I need to listen to good singing. 
I need to read my Bible. I need to be around God's people every day. It's not enough just to come here to church on Sunday. I need to work hard every day to keep my thinking on the Lord. And you do too. So look up. You say, Brother Mike, I'm looking around at all of my problems. Then get back in touch with God. That's the first yes but how to this question of overcoming anxiety. And secondly, look ahead at the end. For those that do evil will be cut off, says this passage. Look at verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Now, have you ever heard the expression, nice guys always finish last? You say the meek, if you trust in God and you are calm and you don't put yourself forward and you're not aggressive like the world around you, you'll be taken advantage of maybe momentarily. But in the long run, my friends, the meek are going to not be the losers, but the winners. They'll inherit the earth. That's what God says. The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace, but evildoers, the wicked, will be cut off. So look ahead at the end of those that do evil and at the end of those that trust in the Lord. Because in just a little while, he says in verse 10, the wicked shall not be. Yea, you shall diligently consider his place, but he shall not be. My beloved the summary of this whole chapter is don't lose sleep over evil men that bring their wicked devices to pass. That's God's department to worry about that. You just focus yourself on doing what's right, trusting in him. I close by reading the last few verses of Psalm 37. Mark the perfect man and behold the upright. Now you find somebody who is just living a godly life, a mature person, who's trying to please God, you mark him for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors, you have, do we have any transgressors, any evil men in our world? The transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble and the Lord shall help them and deliver them he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. We've thought about the words fear not, unburden your mind of fear. The word sin not, unburden your heart of the heavy burden of guilt. Today, my friends, we've thought about these words fret not, unburden your heart of unnecessary anxiety for God is capable of solving all of your problems. Be not dismayed, whatever may God will take care of you. Beneath His wings of love abide, God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day.